to episode number 50. That's right, episode 50 of the Video Game History Hour presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, we'll be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research or lived through it and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. Except this episode. My name is <laughs> my name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And I'm here, as always, with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And uh, we do have a guest today. Our guest today is uh, Chris Kohler video game historian uh, currently lending his talents to game developer Digital Eclipse. Uh, also the author of Final Fantasy V, available now from Boss Fight Books. Uh, but we're not talking to Chris about uh, his life experiences or his research. Uh, instead, we figured, hey, um, episode 50, kind of a special episode. Let's talk about a topic all three of us have some thoughts about and uh, and could talk about really easily for an hour. And that is the very broad topic of video game prototypes. Um, so we have an expert panel here. We have uh, myself, Frank Cifaldi. We have Kelsey Lewin. We have Chris Kohler. We're going to talk about some protos. How are you, Chris? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have any interesting stories or research or anything like that that I've ever done uh, to share on a podcast such as this. Uh, but maybe another, maybe another time. I'll try to, between now and then, I'll try to do something interesting. Okay, write another book or something. Yeah, okay, we, I'll get right we, on that. We, we got bored, you know, with that one. So, no, it's, it's not true. Yeah. Um, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have my autographed copy right here, which no one can see except for you guys. But oh, nice. That, that is a Chris Kohler autographed copy of that book. Oh, it's not. Oh, I was going to say, like, what personal message did I write? But Nothing. I didn't because it, it, I think, is it, was it one of the ones that was, like, in the store? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why it has no personal message. It's because you signed, you pre-signed a bunch of books yes. that yep. I then sold. Okay, yep. that makes way yep. more sense. Yep. <laughs> you should have pre-signed some uh, some messages. Like, I hope I like you. <laughs> 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 so, video game prototypes. Uh, I guess that one could easily ask me, but no, I'm just going to ask both of you. When we're talking about video game prototypes, what is that? What are we talking about? Oh gosh. Okay, being asked to define video game prototypes by Frank. Wow. Well, first, first define a video game, which <laughs> which which a court of law was unable to do today. They punted on that. Yep, yeah. they decided they didn't want to define what a video game was. Well, and the, and they did give they did give a definition of it. It was not a good one. Um, well, they quoted Justin McElroy, right? Yeah. Oh, is that is that who they were quoting? I'm pretty sure. Okay. What what is I should have had this ready. What is the definition? It's something about blissful unproductivity. It's a piece of software like that. That, that is something like I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Well, let's okay then. Since we can't define what a video game is, let's not talk about video games. Let's okay. talk <laughs> about what what would a prototype be uh, outside of the of the realm of, of video games, which maybe we know too much about. Right. Let's go to something like um, sure. you know uh, uh, safety razors. What would what would a prototype of a of a of a uh, of a of a Gillette razor be? It would be something that somebody like put together in a lab that is supposed to uh, represent or maybe be some sort of proof of concept of the final manufactured product that would then roll off the line later, right? Like, right. Here's, a, so here's a prototype of the safety razor that I put together and sort of just you know did it by hand. Um, but the real th- it's it sort of acts like the real thing and it it shows you what the real thing is going to be like but it's not the final thing. I think yeah. when it comes to what the modern 
understanding of it is, at least in the video game realm, it is just anything pre-retail. Anything that has yep. that is not the version that hits the shelves. Yeah, and that, that I mean that's an interesting topic just in itself because like what the collector world defines as a prototype video game uh, differs very significantly from what the video game development world would call a prototype. So mm-hmm. um, if you're a game developer. Uh, or even a publisher, if you're in the industry, a prototype is typically like a proof of concept of a very basic game mechanic, right? So the prototype of Super Mario Brothers, like the actual prototype, which we know from an interview, was uh, a a tall block that could jump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like the, yeah. the Splatoon... Um... The Splatoon tofu thing, if you've heard of that one, when they talk about how they're okay, their first prototyping Splatoon, it was just blocks of tofu that just don't spit ink on the floor, just all in black and white. And that's the prototype of Splatoon. Right. And they were probably demonstrating like ink splattering is fun. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's typically what a prototype is from the development world. So you know and and in and in the game collecting world which is sort of i think dominated how we think of the term it tends to mean a a physical piece of made media that contains a video game that is not its retail version um so you know traditionally that would mean something like a uh again sort of handmade to chris's point right mm-hmm. uh like copy of a game sent maybe to a magazine for review before the 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 version that came from a factory was ready to be sent so mm-hmm. um most commonly i guess would be prototype game cartridges right and and those would have i mean i, I have one in here I'll, I'll, I'll put it in front of the camera where no one can see i, I happen to have one next to me mm. so you know a pcb with rewritable roms on it um, as opposed to factory production ROMs. Now that's a that's a prototype right there. That's that's the I know it when I see it. That's got to be a prototype. It's it's a bare board and it's got stickers and handwriting on it. Yeah, that's, that to me. If it has stickers on the stickers, chips, yeah, stickers on the chips. It's big. That's what makes it a prototype. Not not guaranteed. We <laughs> I can know. Talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. we'll get to that for sure. <laughs> well, what we're kind of getting at here is that for any for any uh, definition of prototype that you might try to write in the video game world, you're going to find a million exceptions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, that's, I think Kelsey really got to it with like anything prior to the final retail game being made is generally called a prototype, whether it is or it isn't. So it's like, it's a, it's a very inexact, uh, use of the term in, in video game circles. Yeah. So there's, I mean, I've seen, you know, pressed from a factory DVDs, uh, for like a public beta, of of an Xbox game sold as a prototype. And I think, you know, fair, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in terms of collector terms. But I think for the sake of us and, and for the sake of like video game preservation and, and, and historical context and things like that, um, when it comes to preservation, I think mostly what we're talking about when we talk about video game prototypes, when we talk about preserving video game prototypes uh, tends to be uh, versions of a game that are, uh, either not finished yet, so you know visions of versions of a game that 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 were not done and, and mastered yet, 
uh, or games that uh, were never sold at all. Um, and and so you know one. So if I were to flash, I mean this. Well, this game I'm flashing in front of you actually technically never came out. But uh, okay, here's another example. Here's. Here. <laughs> I have show and tell. I didn't you got to stop showing things to the camera. No one can see this. So we have a long board here, <laughs> Super Nintendo game. It's Batman Forever, right? Mm-hmm. And there's chips yes. on it. It certainly it's, is. Um, <laughs> and the code on here, uh, which I have digitized and, and looked at in a hex editor, et cetera, is not quite final. There's, there are some weird differences. So so in terms of preservation, that tends to be uh, what we're talking about. Um, so all of us have some history uh, with video game prototypes over the last, I don't know, 20 plus years. Um, I guess mine would be the most substantial of the three of us, but, but I mean, Chris, <laughs> you, you actually collect them. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I, I've never like tried to go out and find prototypes or like buy prototypes off eBay or anything like that. But, um, in the, uh, you know, good, like, you know, last 20 years or so of like collecting stuff and buying things from people and finding things. I've, I've definitely come across uh, video game prototypes. Um, and they are, you know, in and of themselves. Yeah. I guess if we're talking about it, like in the collectible sense, um, they are fun to own, uh, especially if you're a big video game nerd like me, because to have something um, that was, you know, like that was not supposed to get out to the public, um, to have something that does represent an early version or an early development version of a game, um, you know, and also just like, um, I mean, uh, when we start talking about like the the boards that prototype chips were put on, this was like official, you know, say, I mean, if, you know, if I have a Super Nintendo prototype that's on a circuit board that has slots to swap out ROM chips on. This is, and there we go. There it is again, Batman forever and ever and ever. Um, uh, It's an official piece of Nintendo hardware uh, that they made uh, that was only for internal use. So it's like, it's, it's like owning a little chunk of the behind the scenes at Nintendo or whatever company that, um, you know, produce that. that yeah, it's a, that, a that secret game. thing you're not supposed to have. It's kind of like owning a you know a movie prop or something. It's it's part yeah. of the, uh, you know, in in a slightly different way, but it's a part of the history of that game in some sense. Mm-hmm. It came out of that lab that <laughs> that studio. I, I think in the collector world, there tends to be a misunderstanding often of of where. Of, of the actual origins of these things. So I, I might be wrong, but I think, I don't know, let's, let's use uh, a recent big sale for, as an example. So uh, Heritage Games sold uh, what would be called a prototype of Super Mario Brothers 3 uh, for, for a large amount of money. Does anyone remember how much? I want to say $30,000. Yeah, it was in the five figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... You know, reading the description on Heritage, there's references to like the developers handwriting, you know, things on on and 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 I might be wrong, but like what I picture in my head when collectors who don't really understand the game production process see a prototype, I think they they look at that and they're like that Miyamoto san made that. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like like he handmade this. This is 
this is the true craftsman's you know copy of this this is the the this is this is the grail right this is and also it's a totally different game on the inside right and 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 i think the reality that people don't understand is like well no i think probably ncl you know sent the uh the files uh from japan um maybe they mailed a floppy disk maybe they like were able to you know transmit them over the phone line in a binary way and someone in a lab you know, burned the ROMs for internal evaluation. It's not, you know, this handcrafted thing from the creators of the game. Um, and I think that's kind of a common thing. But um, I guess I should talk about my history with prototypes because it's it's kind of the pre-pre-origin of, of the Video Game History Foundation. Um, so when I was... Uh, first getting into video game preservation as a concept. I don't even know if I called it that yet. Um, it was my earliest days on the internet and, uh, it came, it it came from my fascination with the concept of video game emulation. Um, I thought and still think it's, you know, magic that you can take data from an old cartridge and like run it on your computer. Like it's an old system. Hmm. Um, I got fascinated with that pretty quickly. I got, into the idea of, you know, catching up on games that I missed from my youth and stuff like that. And it kind of snowballed from there. And uh, within these communities that I became involved in of people who were hunting down games that weren't online yet, um, you know, I was introduced to just the concept of, of video game prototypes and of uh, pre-release and unreleased game code and how that might be different. And I, I was really fascinated by that. And, um, I started a website in 2003 with a group of, of, of like-minded friends called Lost Levels. Uh, we were, I think, the first website that was specifically about games that never came out. And we uh, tried to track down the people who worked on them and, and, and recovered the files with them and, and sort of told their story and let people play these games that never came out. And, um, you know, for, for a long time, I think that I... I viewed that sort of thing as uh, the most volatile and important thing to go rescue if one were to try to save the history of video games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know that I necessarily feel that way now, but um, you know that, that's sort of where all of this came from for me. And I mean, Chris, you were in these same, like, you know, at least the, the same like collector worlds. I mean, like, Back then, it was when one was found. It was, I mean, it's still kind of a big deal, but it was, it was kind of huge back then, right? Yeah, I remember uh, the the California Raisins NES game as being like a a big one because I mean that was something where it was made by Capcom, and I mean yeah. it was um, it had been advertised. We had seen screenshots of it in video game magazines. I, of course, was a big you know California Raisins fan. You know when I was a, of, when course, I was a kid, of course, of course, yes. as, as as were so many of us. Um, and uh, and so I was like, oh, a California Raisin game. And then you know never came out, uh, and then it got it was found you know very early on, right? And it was found like in a box of games that somebody brought into a video game store. I almost think to trade in. Um, and, uh, 
there was, you know, and and as often happened at this point, there was a lot of skepticism as to like, well, is this is this real? Is this you know, is this like how how could um, this unreleased game from a video game company end up in some random person's attic? And the and because this was sort of maybe the this was like one of the first times we'd ever really heard about something like that happening, and um, and it was almost like what wouldn't why would how did that get out you know and it's uh but uh it, as it turns out it's actually much more likely than you think that um you know random people would go home from their companies or you know lend out prototypes of games or things like that and they just sort of end up in somebody's attic or in the most unlikely of places but yeah when that came out it wasn't and then we played it and it was it wasn't a very good game you know there's probably very good reasons why they didn't actually put it out there um but it was, there was sort of definitely an event when that hit. It was like, oh my gosh, an unreleased NES game. Of course, a lot of the people who were playing it, we hadn't even really played all of the released NES games by that point <laughs> yeah. either. So it had that sort of a mystique around it. But this one's better. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a big deal. And then, you know, generally when stuff would happen, I mean, the, you know, the next, I mean, but the next big one that I could remember was uh, Earthbound, the NES mm. version. So Earthbound was uh, actually uh years earlier um than raisins so earthbound um whole documentary about that in fact there was a whole we did an episode uh we sure with, did with mm-hmm. uh with bones uh the uh, i believe co-director of mother to earth i don't remember what episode that is episode 21 as robin in the production booth is, is signaling <laughs> to me with with her hands um episode 21 uh got into that and how that was found uh in the late 90s mm-hmm. um yeah raisins i was involved in um and that was, yeah, it was traded. So uh, a guy named Brandon, I believe it was Brandon Cobb was his name. Um, he was in a store in, I, I want to say Canada. I think he was Canadian. Um, and someone came in with some NES cartridges that uh, did not have nice uh, labels on them. They had uh, uh, sort of crappy black and white stickers on them that, said you know the name of the game and please return to capcom or whatever and and the store that she was attempting to trade them into was like well we can't take these they don't have labels um kelsey i'd like to assume that your employees at pink gorilla are a little more trained than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's tough when you because i've now sort of stepped away from my day-to-day at my store so i I do have nightmares about them, like not knowing all the specific nuances that I've learned over the past decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thinking... this game, this game is not in our point of purchase system. So we can't. Take <laughs> this it. looks like well, now, so nowadays I think it'd be more like this is a bootleg. You're yeah. trying to sell me a bootleg. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> so Brandon saw this and 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 was like, "Well, you know, I'll I'll take them from you." And she sold them these uh, games for five bucks and. Yeah, one of them was California Raisins, the only copy that's ever been found of California Raisins. Um, and he, I mean, this is actually, this is an interesting topic too. So he posted about finding this on a, a forum called Digital Press, which still exists. It's not what it was, but it still exists. Um, and uh, there was there was kind of a, I don't know if you see this too much anymore, maybe because communities are so splintered now, but there was sort of an argument that happened because um, a lot of people who were uh, more collector minded, perhaps than like historical preservation minded 
um, were fundamentally against the idea uh, of taking a one of a kind game and digitizing it for historical uh, posterity and 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 letting people look at it. Um, so there were people, you know, advising Brandon, like whatever you do, do not digitize this game. Don't dump this game. You will devalue it. Um, mm. Not only will it you would have like, been like only worth a hundred dollars instead of two hundred dollars. Yeah, as prototypes only... were back in the day. And, that's, and you're <laughs> just exaggerating, right? I mean, this is this yeah. is the era of uh, the most expensive video game was like five hundred bucks. So yeah, so Brandon, yeah, uh, so people were telling him not to. Some people were like, no, dump the ROM, dump the ROM. So um, I got in contact with Brandon, um, and I don't know. My my policy has always been to. You know, real honesty when it comes to stuff like this. I'm like, okay, here's your situation. I know people are talking to you about this. Uh, I'll just give you the straight dope here. Uh, if you were to sell this thing right now, um, get about a thousand dollars, which was true back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, very adorable time in video game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you get like a thousand. Uh, if you, if you were to digitize it, you get like a thousand bucks, and we maybe never see it again. If you digitize it first, you maybe get a couple hundred bucks. Uh, but now the game is saved and, uh, you know, people of the future can play it and understand it and things like that. And and he decided um, like, well, you know, money's nice, but I'd rather this thing, you know, be be saved. Uh, so he mailed it to me. I uh, I digitized it on my uh parallel port based copiness handmade by Kevin Horton, who now works at analog and, and is, <laughs> you know, doing, doing their internal stuff for the pocket right now. Um, and, uh, got it online. It was actually launch day for lost levels, I believe July something 2003. Um, and, but that was, you know, I don't know that I see this as much now in the collector world. And I'm, I, I'm actually interested from the panelists, if you feel this perspective is the same, like I feel that I don't see people saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it anymore because eventually that sort of crowd, or at least people related to it figured out that like, well, I can take this data and I can make bootleg copies of the game. Ah. And now (laughs) all the collectors have something new to buy. So everyone's happy. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that the voices just got louder on the other side, which is that if mm. you are the kind of person who wants to just keep it um, for yourself and, and not digitize the data, if anyone catches wind of that, you are going to be hearing about it a lot. Um, and I mean, you know, there's there's lots of pros and cons to that. I'm very happy that sort of the general consensus is these days is like, no, this should be shared. Of course, everything should be shared. Um, It's not always gone about in the most effective ways is maybe the nicest way I can put it. Uh, You won't win a lot of wars by yelling at people. You won't change a lot of minds by yelling at people. And that's, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's getting into the weeds a little too much, but. Mm, I don't know if it's getting in the weeds. It's just like, I don't know. Do we want to talk about Aka R? You know which one I'm talking about? I don't. I no, I don't think I do. Aka R was an unreleased Atari made arcade game 
Um, Chris, it's at oh, California oh, Dream every year. This story, oh, okay. This, oh yeah, this is the one where somebody <laughs> like tell, tell us that you might you, remember it well, about as well as I do. Oh, oh no, no, no! I might misremember it, but I mean, somebody sort of used deception to go in and like and like dump the ROMs off of this thing Maybe. from nope. the owner of the. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. Okay, yeah. it showed there was, up. There was theft, as far as I remember. Maybe so. It showed okay. up. It showed up one day uh, in Mame, the arcade emulator. Um, hey, we got this unreleased Atari-made arcade game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in Mame. It's in your Mame ROM sets at your 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 torrent dealer of choice right now. Um, hooray! We've saved history. And um, someone in the uh, arcade game collecting realm who has one of, I think, three working known copies of, of Aka R um, said that they believe someone uh, who was who came into their house to repair their arcade games uh, without, you know, kind of sneakily when the owner wasn't looking, popped the ROMs out of his Aka R digitized them, sent them to main team. And, and, you know, the claim was essentially that they were, they were stolen uh, from this collector, which may or may not be true. Um, let's assume it is true for the sake of discussion. Uh, Please we're getting into some real moral, like more, <laughs> real weird ethics discussions already. Yeah. I didn't think this would happen this early. In the yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll probably say uh, I'll come down on the side of um, yes, it's good when stuff like this gets shared. Uh, no, you should not do it that way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's I had arguments at the time with people in like private communities that I'm in of, of, of people who, you know, are part of this sort of movement to, to digitize rare and ephemeral video game things. Um, that like, yeah, we really stuck it to them that time, you know, like that was sort of the feeling Uh, like take that collectors. This is the right way. And, you know, I, it made me feel crazy because, you know, my, I'm looking at this and going like, okay, do we really want to pee in the pool guys? You know, that's that's exactly, I mean, the kind of point that I was going to make, which is that. For me, like video game preservation is a very long game. This is this is the world's longest long game. And anything you do to jeopardize how people feel about game preservation and preservationists is likely going to make the rest of the journey harder. I mean, it, it really that's what it comes down to. Of course we want all of these things shared. That is the that's what we all have the exact same goal. But yes. there do have to be um discussions and and limits and stuff in, on the way that we go about these things because if people become so fearful of preservationists and fearful of deception and that sort of thing, we're not even going to know that things exist in collections. And they might die with people, you know, if they're so afraid that things will be stolen from them and that they can't trust the people who are just trying to do the right thing, who are trying to share this knowledge with everybody. Um, it's it's tricky. <laughs> it's also just basic, like, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't you don't like. <laughs> you don't yell at people until they give in, right? Like you, you, you meet them on their level. You, you win them over to your perspective. Right. And, 
Um, I think if if I innovated anything in video game preservation, you know, in 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 my earliest days here, it's that I actually talked to the people who owned the stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I a lot of people in that community were mostly, you know, j- just online, right? They weren't uh, they weren't like going to you know what our very earliest shows and stuff like that. They weren't meeting the collectors. They weren't communicating with them. They weren't trying to negotiate uh like how do we find common ground here and to you know what kelsey was saying is is absolutely true which is that you know they care too it's not that they're not buying one-of-a-kind games and i hate this word but for this but hoarding them you know because they're you know weird mustache cartoon villains who who want to own everything they're they're not you know william randolph hearst or whatever um they're they're people who care about video game history and you know they are they are saving history in their way which in a lot of cases is like they're the ones that are out there going dumpster diving they're the ones who are out there you know talking to developers and and publishers and and acquiring these things they're the ones who like work at magazines and and like go steal the old roms that that never got sent back and stuff like that and and when i say like maybe we shouldn't pee in the pool that's what i mean it's like these are the people this is our source for this stuff and maybe instead of like lighting them on fire you know we should we should learn to work with them and compromise but uh humans don't like nuance is is kind of uh my takeaway <laughs> from life well i mean just to give maybe a a different analog um, in the way I've explained it to other people sometimes is, you know, I run a couple of game stores and there I do find myself in situations where it would be very easy for me to offer an insanely low amount of money for items because the person clearly does not know what they have. I have never, ever done that. Mm. And the reason is because you just, first of all, you, I mean, that's the right thing to do, obviously, like basic level, that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is like, if they have an awesome stack of NES games yeah. that they brought in right now, what if they also have another awesome stack of Super Nintendo games that they didn't bring in this yep. time? And so and the pee in the pool thing is like, that's it. That's what you're saying. Relevant like, to this, this is discussion. The like <laughs> I, I did, you know, you say I have some prototypes in my collection and some of the prototypes in my collection came from somebody who um, they had gone to it. They had a, they had a bunch of stuff from back in the day. They'd worked at a game developer and they had taken a few things to a, a store in the Bay area. And they brought in some like, it was, it was like some sealed uh, Genesis games and they brought them into this store. This was like, it was like 10 years ago now, but like they brought before them into anyone the store. Before cared about sealed games. But well, yeah, before, <laughs> before it was too crazy, but it was still worth a lot of money. You know, it was yeah. just sure. worth, you know, it wasn't worth a hundred thousand dollars. It was like a no, couple it was worth thousand, a couple right? times what the completed box was. Yeah. So, and he brought this stuff to the store and he shows him this box of the sealed Genesis games and they, they absolutely pull the, the, uh, this stuff really isn't worth a lot of money because they see him. He's, he's an older guy. It's not worth a lot. They give him, they give him like 10 bucks, you know, each for the games or just something even really low. And then, in, I mean, literally like a couple of bucks each on these games, right? 
They then turn around and the next day post a big Facebook post that's like, we are pleased to announce that we have acquired a mint sealed condition copy of Shining Force 2 for the Sega Genesis. And we are offering it for $4,000, whatever it was, you know, like, like making a huge big deal about it. And he saw the post because it's not like he doesn't look at Facebook. <laughs> and so he looks at Facebook and he sees this and he's like, oh, my God, I'm never selling to this these stores, uh, you know, to really any stores ever again. And um, and that's how and then he finds like he actually found me on the Internet as somebody who was a game collector in the Bay Area. And I end up going and buying stuff and getting a good getting a very good deal on the stuff. But like more towards the extent of what you would have paid for it. Versus what this store, I mean, basically tried to rip him off in the in the highest degree. And so that's ex- that's exactly what will happen. You will burn that person. Exactly. I mean, that story, you, you said every part of it there. It's like, well, now he doesn't trust game stores at all. So it went in like video game preservation is the same way. If if, yeah. if someone yep. gets burned, they will not trust Mm-hmm. preservation in general after mm-hmm. that and um yeah it, i hate hearing stories like that because they give they give all of us a bad name yep <laughs> well i mean okay this seems like a good um topic switching point because we are talking about sales now let's, let's sort of talk about prototypes as a collectibles market um because that's an interesting topic in itself so we already kind of talked about you know this notion of uh California raisins, you know, if if you dump the ROM, it's worth thousand, you know, a couple hundred. If you don't, it's it's worth a thousand. Um, and, uh, you know, I I think that's still sometimes true in this market. But like, anyway, to backtrack a little. People collect this stuff, right? They they are seen as highly collectible video games. Um, what I've seen trending wise, well, who knows anymore. I don't think anyone knows anything anymore when it comes to video games. But my general observation is that um, people collect uh, franchises slash games that are important to them uh, in prototype form um, or games that never shipped at all. Right. So, you know, any disc that says Resident Evil on it, you know, like that is a highly prized prototype i think even if it's the final game uh if if it's Mm -hmm. like legitimately that's something that someone at capcom burned to a disc you know that's that's a four-figure object even if it's literally a cdr copy of the final version of resident evil 2 right um and you know there's also been this notion i think that i very much disagree with um so we talked about you know raisins california raisins oh it's worth x if dumped why if not um i think that some you know who who deal with these things have applied that logic to anything um and in my observations it's not been true uh that it matters if a if if a released games you know slightly earlier version is online or not like i think it has no value on it has no effect on the value. Mm-hmm. Chris, how, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's essentially, there's, there's, there's two different types of, of, of prototype sales that you see happen. One is where, um, 
the 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 game i mean you know the game itself is just completely there's no builds of it available at all um and often then you have people pooling their money right to you know to try to get uh just any copy of that game with the intent that the people who get it are going to put it on the internet and then now you have the super mario 3 type situation where it's like it's somebody it's somebody clearly didn't want the data they wanted to own the physical object the physical copy of super mario brothers 3 because they felt um that it was you know either highly collectible or they were speculating and it's probably what they're doing that it's going to be even more collectible in the future as if you had you know a drawing of mickey mouse by walt disney or something like that regardless yeah. of how if if, if 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 that's correct or not right Miyamoto yeah, definitely I don't think kissed that, that pcb Come on. <laughs> yeah um, but you're right. I think if we're talking about something where it's like, um, I think that Mario three wouldn't have mattered if it was done. Right. I think it would have gone for the exact same price. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Cause that's the audience that it was in front of and that's how it was kind of being positioned and sold. But yeah, I think it, I don't think it, I, 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 I think I agree with you that it wouldn't affect the value for talking about a slightly different version of, um, because it depends on how different it is, right? I mean, if the, you know, if, you, you know, I will concede yeah. that, like, oh, we dump this and it's final might affect the price. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that's true. Um, but also, but yeah, it's like, oh, this is a ninety-five percent complete version of Mario Three, and you know, there's uh, there's little bits, you know, kind of so maybe, but it's, but the thing is, not every game is Mario Three, right? right? In fact, most games aren't Mario Three, um, in in so far as they're not nearly as they don't have the nostalgic pull or the historic importance that causes people to want to spend big money to collect them. So, um, and, and in that case, it probably affects things even less. But it's like if you had, you know. It, but but on the other hand, if it's something where, you know, I'm just imagining like um, a, a prototype of Super Mario Brothers 2 USA that's like half Doki Doki Panic characters and half Mario characters, <laughs> like exists. in the in the middle of them working on that, um, that would be that would be huge as far as um, whether that was dumped or not, because if that was not dumped, you would I think you would see a huge group of people want to try to, to get their hands on that. <laughs> Funny story that one. Oh, uh, oh, is there a story? Do you have a story? Or there is a story. Uh, that is that is a prototype that exists. Uh-huh. Um, it is halfway, not literally halfway, but um, it's not quite done. It's got some Doki Doki Panic elements hmm. to it. Huh. Um, like like such they as left Birdo in. Um, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, this is a game that uh, is owned privately by a collector, didn't want the ROM out, but uh, entrusted it to a researcher to help, you know, research and kind of tell him about his cool game, right? Like what's mm-hmm. actually different here. Yep. Um, that researcher then leaked the ROM. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like you put that out. Um, that is now out there. You can go grab it. It's great. Um and, I was uh, making this up, by the way. I know. I, I was know literally <laughs> coming up with what I know would be you a fantasy ROM that I would love to see. And now you're telling me that I manifested it into being by so, speaking about it. This leaked from uh, the Lost Levels forums, my website. Um, the owner of said object um, came to me because that's my community and it came from there. That's right. Um, and... I, you know, all I could do was apologize and be like, look, I didn't personally have anything to do with this. I don't, you know, I didn't 
tell them to do this. You know, I, I, I'm sorry this happened to you. Um, uh, years later, like over a decade later, uh, I find myself in person um, with this collector uh, at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo um, because he has uh, flown to the United States to attempt to uh, purchase the only copies of SimCity for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh my God, that's the same guy? Yes. So um, when y'all burn collectors, sometimes you make my life harder. Please stop. This is a good. Mm. This is a good story, but also a really frustrating one because um, there was a lot of money that went into saving SimCity for the. And NES. I'm not. And he was, he was nice and cordial about it. Like it was awkward because I still feel bad, even though it had nothing to do with this leak or whatever. And I don't like when this happens. I don't condone it. Obviously, I'm I'm saying that on this podcast right now. But you know, I don't know how much that experience that he had affected how much he was willing to spend on sim city to or reveal to about again. what he owns right or we may it, never know what he owns and he owns some crazy stuff and he will probably not entrust it to a researcher nope. to at least see i mean again yeah again yeah to your point right exactly like someone at least got to see it and the and the differences were reported somewhere right we right? were going to have like halfway saved it. And yeah. if that experience had gone well, we might have halfway saved dozens of other things. I'm pretty sure this person has a Super Mario World that's not done, for example. So we'll yeah. never see that uh, because of the burn that happened. And um, if you're a listening person who leaked, like I, I know that you feel bad about it. I, I And I'm never going to reveal who you are. um and 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 i i i'm not mad at you uh but my only point is that like these are real people and sometimes this Mm -hmm. stuff has real consequences and to kelsey's point sometimes you kind of have to make a compromise to get anything done as opposed to nothing yeah yeah that's i mean that's a frustrating one i think for a lot of people to contend with but the reality is that we can save more if we compromise in some situations and possibly win people over in the end. Cause I've seen that happen like dozens of times. I've done it. I've literally done it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do want to go back to your earlier question though, because I had a counterpoint about um, games selling, not selling for more, even if they're, you know, not dumped or whatever. Cause there was recently a sale of gotcha for the NES (laughs) <laughs> that went for $600. Um, it is the final ROM as far as we know, right? Is that... I am positive based on my experience examining samples from right. Nintendo that this is the final ROM. Based yeah, it might on, even based... be the final like PAL ROM. Okay. So this went for $600, um, but they had a really cool thing in the title here, which was not dumped. They were specifically advertising that this had never been dumped, that they had never attempted to dump it themselves. And I think that this, I think it only sells for $600 because people thought Mm. there might be something interesting in there. I think any NES prototype is 600 bucks minimum right now. Really? Yeah, I guess. I think, yeah, I think a lot of I guess we're trending that way. I think a lot of people want to own a prototype, even if you're just a, you know, collector who doesn't have any. It's like, oh, I'd like to own one. 
So people are trying to get in at the bottom end to just own like a basic NES prototype. And if it's a re, if, you know, if it's, if it's actually on, you know, as I said, if it's on like an actual, like, you know, vintage Nintendo uh, EEPROM board, um, you know, then it's going to be harder to, to track those down. Well, I mean, so I'll give an example. And you know what? I'm name dropping the guy. I don't care. So our, our friend Brandon Sheffield um, donated a bunch of stuff to the foundation a couple of years ago. Uh, among them was an EEPROM cart for the Game Boy for something, just some whatever game. I think it was, I think it's Qbert. Um, Brandon now needs money and he's asking for his property back that he donated to this charity. Um, please don't do that, folks, <laughs> like, especially to someone like us who doesn't have like a really robust cataloging system yet. Um, and my first reaction was like, dude, I'll just give you the hundred bucks or whatever. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I'd rather do that than try to find this thing in storage right now. And I looked on eBay and you can do this right now if you want. Like any Game Boy prototype, which used to be nothing. It's like 350 bucks now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we're at a point where like prototype is worth money. And I don't know if we come back. So I, I, I think... All of this discussion on price is probably scaring some of our audience a little bit, Mm. um, which is why I want to move on to uh, another topic here that might might calm them down a little bit on some of their concerns, which is how important are prototypes really? And what are we even dealing with? I mean, it kind of goes back to the first question, even like, what are we even dealing with? Would we say prototype? Because in many, 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 many cases, a prototype is like or the things that are considered prototypes to collectors are like a 99% finished game with yeah. bug fixes. You're not seeing in incredible major differences that teach you a whole lot about how a game came together. There's there are plenty of exceptions to that, but a lot of these $350 Game Boy games and $600 NES games and that sort of thing are quite literally the final ROM. So just to <laughs> calm everyone down here. When it comes to cartridge-based <laughs> prototypes, and I've gone through, technically the foundation has gone through, well, I, sorry, I said cartridge-based. Okay, I've gone through hundreds. I would, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm at like 400 or something that I've gone through. If I were to guess, um, half of them are literally final. Um, another 45% are like, probably final ish but with a couple bugs that i can't even find you know and then maybe five percent of cartridge prototypes of release games that i've looked at like are like oh i can see the substantial difference with my eyeballs right now <laughs> you know like it's it's just it's not very common um unfortunately and i'm part of this problem in the preservation world uh for a long time we didn't document the final ones um you know, because because when we were preserving prototype cartridges, it was just like, oh, that one's final. Like it, that, this file does not matter, right? And um, and real quick, just so the audience knows, how how are you determining that a ROM is final? Oh, it's easy. I mean, it's like data is data. Like any copy of Super Mario Brothers that you digitize is like from a binary level, one hundred percent identical. Um, so we are able to easily determine that by just comparing the data. Uh, I do this in a hex editor typically, and it's just uh, compare these two files. And it's like, there are zero bytes different between these files, or 
it'll start showing me the bytes that are different. And then I have to do the work to figure out like, okay, is this substantial, et cetera. Sometimes it's literally like, you know, 20 of them that combine to be like the date changed on it. Copyright yeah. 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 That's, that, and there's a really good example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that um, I saw recently tweeted. Um, uh, someone had a rock man sample from Japan. Jironosuke. Um, thank a you. Very, very, um, <laughs> storied Japanese game collector. Okay. I didn't look into who they were. I just replied, trying to be helpful. Um, and they found, you know, some bite differences in Rockman, and, and I'm pretty sure it's literally just a build date and that's it. So uh-huh. like, in a, in uh-huh. an area in the final ROM, that's just empty. Um, this version just has like the date that this ROM was assembled and that's the only difference. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, going back to Kelsey's topic, right? Like, is this stuff actually important? Um, I said early at the top of the show, uh, that when I got started in this, I considered this the most volatile and important aspect of video game preservation. Um, I've, I've always been someone who's just unsatisfied with, with doing things that are low impact. Like I always want to make sure that what I'm doing is high impact, um, that I'm using, you know, my time on this mortal coil to like affect change in my way. Um, and I figured that was it. Uh, and over the years I've, I've softened that opinion a lot. Um, if you're, you know, if you follow the foundation at all, if you're a fan of the foundation, you know that what we mostly talk about is context. Like we, we collect context. We don't collect games. Um, and to me, that is, far more important that we have information about games, not games themselves. Um, But I mean, that's my personal opinion, but I think, you know, I think a really good way to visualize this is to go to the hidden palace wiki right now and just like poke around all the prototypes that are dumped and just see how uninteresting they are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And They've got some cool unreleased stuff, of course. Got cool, I'm not talking about unreleased. Yeah, I'm we're talking just about talking about builds of games that came out. Yeah, and sometimes they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, so, I mean, let me let me bring this up as something that has been monumentally impactful, um, that sometimes we even forget this is a prototype, but, uh, you know, Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors, yeah. uh, which is not a prototype, it's a, it's a finished, unreleased game for the sake we don't, of CD. We don't know if the code that we have is finished. Oh, excuse yes. me. Okay. Uh, so it's it seems to be a finished, unreleased game for the Sega CD. Maybe it is, in fact, a prototype or an early version. Uh, didn't come out. Um, the full game was leaked a long time ago. Uh, and uh, in-, in 2004 by me. Okay. Um, and uh, thank you, Frank. And thank you, Frank, because inside of Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors, which is a, a very clever game, uh, is the game Desert Bus, um, it, which is, if you don't know what Desert Bus is, it's a it's a parody. Uh, it's a parody of the hype over violent video games in the mid-1990s. They decided to make the most boring video game possible, in which you drive a bus from, I forget the two cities, like from Tucson to Las Vegas or something like that. Correct. Um, and or Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, 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 yeah, yeah. And it takes eight hours, and the bus has a slight drift to it, so you have to you have to be steering the bus the whole time. It takes out eight hours on a straight line. There's no turns. There's no stopping. You just right. drive in a straight line for it's literally like, eight hours. Yep. And so, of course, um, you, there's the no, there is now very famously the Desert Bus for Hope campaign, in which people marathon playing Desert Bus, just boring themselves silly uh, to raise, um, you know, now hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars for children's hospitals. So that was a 
remarkable uh, knock-on side effect of that particular game getting released. Yeah. And that's a great example of um, found an unreleased game. Thank you, Frank. Released an unreleased game. Thanks, Frank. And um, uh, and actually, that's why we invited you, and gave people <laughs> to give you the proper respect, um, and and then gave people a video game, a full video game that they ordinarily would not have had had that not been tracked down and and found. That's like best case scenario, right? Yeah, um, I have another good one if you want. Um, yeah. which is we we talked about California raisins before. Mm-hmm. Um, I got an email to my lost levels account, you know, a couple years after we, we put that story out. Um, and it was from a woman who's like, my brother composed the music for this game. Um, it's the only published music he ever made before he died. And I've never heard it. Can you help me? Hmm. Um, that is not an, you know, like no one's ever going to, you, you can't predict stuff like that. You know, that like this, you know, kind of whatever NES game, uh, you know, gave this woman the only insight she ever had into her brother's musical composition. Yep. Anyway, where, where were you going before I interrupted you? Well, it's important. I mean, it's, uh, you know, that, that again shows the importance of having experts who know how to do yeah. it also, because it's like, just because you have a prototype doesn't mean you can just dump it. Um, you know, there has to, a lot of stuff had to happen. You know, there had to be, you know, the, the, um, the 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 modified uh and the, you know, the copy nest hardware um the it's the, so much the, easier the behind these the days. scenes knowledge yeah sure um yeah it's true because like I'm, well it is it is easier today to dump stuff than it was but uh not as far as nes games are concerned because nes games are built in such a weird way that even if you have hardware to dump them and you have the software uh you might actually not even be able to dump it just because of some weirdness with the way that it's it works on the cartridge. Uh, I'm just, I guess I'm just ranting right now. Cause it's a big pain in the neck. Um, That's I mean, true. I, like like need, Tengen yeah. games and that sort of thing. Like it, yeah. there's, well, there are exceptions that are more difficult. No, yeah. all of well, it's, it's no, it's just, did someone write a plugin or not? Is yeah. really all it means. And, yeah. and yeah. it's, um, but again, you got to have the person, you know, who's crazy enough to, someone needs there to and be able to plug-in. do that. Yeah. And, so much of my accomplishments through life has just been knowing the right people, you know, mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. just been knowing who to message on discord to be like, how do I dump this stupid thing? Um, yep. And getting their help that way. And uh, I just, think because I find the, the NES problem interesting, I'm going to explain that really quick, which is that um, when you're playing super Mario brothers three, you're not exactly playing the NES. Um, the mm-hmm. NES, you know, as it shipped uh, initially, um, it's only really built to take one type of cartridge, uh, what we call NROM cartridges, which are 32 kilobytes of data exactly. And it's the really early stuff up to like Super Mario Brothers would be the most advanced NROM game. Um, and the reason that games look better than, you know, Clue Clue Land or whatever afterwards isn't because people got really good at the hardware, although it's part of it. Um, It's that they started designing new cartridge types that were essentially expanding the hardware. So like, I think the best way to visualize it if you're into older games is is like the Sega 32X, right? Like Super Mario Brothers 3 is the equivalent of like a hardware add-on with a game inside of it that you put in the NES. Um, So that's what makes digitizing NES kind of a challenge 
because you can't just put a cartridge into a dumper and the dumper goes, oh, I, I know what an NES card is. I know how to dump this. Like you have to tell it exactly what uh, hardware type is is being fed to it so that it knows how to read the ROMs from it. Um, I like the NES, man. It's a, it's a fascinating <laughs> system. And and we talk about it in such boring ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's more to this topic. So are, are you know, prototypes important? You know, to Chris's point, you never know. I think that's true of any piece of video game history. But, I mean, straight up, the best way to preserve video game history is you put it all on the internet and that's it. Um, that, yeah, that give is it the, to as many people as possible. Yes, that is the most effective way to preserve video game history is you put it all on the internet. Um, is that always possible? No, uh, but it is the best way. Now, and, and because of that, there might be, you know, unexpected findings later in life. Like, like you might get people who really research these games can now access weird old versions and find things, you know, buried that no one's looked at in, in 30 years or whatever. That's cool. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, if we're talking about, uh, for example, our efforts at the foundation, um, is the best use of our time to go seek out what we call prototype video games and put them online. Um, we've decided that is not the best use of our time. Um, well, I, with a caveat. Okay. So if, if you listen to, um, I'm not sure which episode number it is. Maybe Robin will find it. The episode of the video game history hour about our Chicago trip. Um, we did specifically go to Chicago to meet up with video game veterans who had uh, episode 43 of the video game history hour. Thank you, Robin. <laughs> we went to Chicago and met up with some video game veterans to dump their prototype cartridges. Uh, and that is a good use of our time because we can have that human connection with people that, that, uh, that others who specialize in the sort of thing nece- don't necessarily have. Like I, it took me, you know, 10 years of, of infrequent emails to, to get into Ed Semrad's house, you know, like it's that, that is work that's worth our time. But, um, is it worth our time to buy prototypes on eBay and dump them in case they're interesting? Is it worth our time to, um, you know, I had a situation where recently where I could drive three hours to, to dump a prototype that was on eBay that people were bidding on. Like, is, is that stuff worth our time? Um, for the most part, no. Uh, and we've tried to offload that work on on the preservation community more than us uh, because they know how to do it just as well as we do. And we instead sort of try to focus our efforts on those things that not everyone can do. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that only we can do, but that you know we are more positioned to do. Let's put it that way. So... Um, you know, we don't focus on on that stuff as much as, you know, uh, a much younger Frank Cifaldi did mm-hmm. in his day. Well, you know, I mean, at the, you know, 20 years ago, you're going after prototypes and not a whole lot of people are actively really trying to track this stuff down. Um, yeah. And so there was more of a danger that um, it was going to, the stuff was going to go away, you know, if somebody didn't preserve it. Um Today, I mean, I think you see there's almost a danger of people want prototypes too much because now you have now you have this danger of people are going to um, they want to buy the prototype. They want to leave it undumped. 
they want to put it into a slab and they want to put it into a vault so it will appreciate in value later. And that's great. That could be great for them. That's really terrible for history. But what people don't want is all the paper and all the context and (laughs) all the developer documents and all of the, and and, and to do the work, to do the work of doing interviews with people, of of collecting up all that context, of building a research library. Collectors have no interest in, in doing that. So, I mean, it's like the prototype stuff is kind of being handled like almost by the market because there's a lot of people who are at the very least um, not letting that stuff get thrown in the trash. But the also, stuff that I you think... guys are go on. Sorry. Oh, no. I mean, you're making great points about what we do. So I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate all of that. <laughs> but the I mean, us. the other part of that, just to maybe scare people a little less, too, is I think that there is so much energy behind saving these games now almost to a fault where you sometimes end up bidding against other people who are also just trying to buy it to dump the ROM. Um, I ended up in one of those scenarios myself, despite my Mm -hmm. best efforts to tell everybody that, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And (laughs) this is my plan. Yes. Um, Which is not an unreleased, not an unreleased game and not a, not a prototype per se, but um, it is a Wonderswan cartridge where only 120 of them were made and it was previously undumped. Um, and I tried to, you know, tell all of the Wonderswan communities I was in and all that, like, hey, just, I'm going to win this. So just, I will outbid you, but I'm going to dump it. So just please, mm-hmm. <laughs> please mm-hmm. let me do this. Um, and it didn't reach one guy who actually did end up outbidding me because I ran out of uh, the proxy I was using was like, you no, we just, we can't approve you bidding this high. This is, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is too much money. Um and I ended up finding another copy, um, miraculously, but as that one was in transit to me, the ROM showed up on the internet <laughs> because that guy was bidding against me to do the exact same thing. So mm-hmm. um, I actually, I, that story, like it cost us both some money, I guess, but I actually felt great about it. Cause I was like, there are so many people who are trying to do, who are trying to share this stuff with the world now that I don't even really worry about it that much anymore. Like, I think that there are so uh, okay. I see you making a face. I me? <laughs> yeah, not oh, me. I, thought, I was not I, making yeah. a face. Yeah. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, I was, I was, I'm smiling about something else. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't. A, I don't feel like I have to worry about it nearly as much anymore. Like I think mm-hmm. that there are a lot of people who are out there trying to do the right thing, and they may not always be the person with the most amount of money. But to your point, Chris, at least it's not literally disappearing. Yeah. It's not going to go into the garbage can. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's great is that um, when they're not literally thrown into the trash, uh, you know, pr- these prototypes have turned out to be pretty gosh darn durable, right? I yeah. mean, for things that weren't supposed to last, you know, more than a few months, um, you know, we'll, we'll still recover um, games with uh, EPROMs, with uncovered windows. People didn't even put the stickers on it and then you dump it and sometimes it actually works. And it's like, wow, that actually really held up, uh, surprisingly. I haven't had a dead one yet. I haven't. I mean, maybe. Well, okay. Oh, oh. Uh, disc like 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 CDR. I've had dead ones. Oh, okay. Um, but have you had dead ROMs? Uh, I've only. I I think I've only had one. 
uh, which was again uh, from that the gentleman I was speaking about. I bought a lot of prototypes yeah. from, and uh, this one, this one, I don't think he kept it in his house. I think it ended up like in his garage somewhere, and the, the nothing was covered. And uh, but we don't worry. We we looked. It, it did not play. Nothing was almost recoverable. But um, the 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 CHR was like sort of we could sort of look at it, and it was Rocky and Bullwinkle for the NES. But um, oh, you know, no. but but it, but but yeah, but it, but it had pretty much been. Uh, uh, pretty much been fried or a lot of the data had yeah sorry. And if if we're talking about eproms i can't think of any examples but um we did have like those game boy advance games uh when we oh, were in chicago rooms. yes yeah, there yeah. are there are flash roms that die yep that's true yep. thankfully yeah. those were not important it was it was like six or seven different builds of uh dragon ball z booze legacy or something like that um and we had all of the other builds so it was like, i don't know it's missing like day five in between day three you know what i mean like we're, sure. yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. missing a, a very small stepping stone in between but yeah and it's not it's like the 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 value of stuff like that is is you know there is going to be value to historians uh who do want to dig into how a certain game was made or what the processes for making games were like and you're going to be able to look at that and sort of start divining some things uh from the stages that the roms went through um but again, I think to your point, like not nearly as much as you would if you had the development documents or if you had even just like email archives, the emails that people sent to each other. You know, I mean, that's where you can really see the magic happening of the game being developed. Well, yeah, I mean, OK, I think a lot of my like uh, I don't I don't really care about video game prototypes anymore. Uh, a lot of that. I mean, I was already feeling that way, but. After I did my research on The Secret of Monkey Island, where I had access to the entire source code repo, I knew how to build the game, I could script it, I was able to <laughs> find uh, cut content in like the trash and put it back in the game and, and experience it. Uh, I had access to its creator, I had his design notes, you know, and, and I put together a, a, a little breakdown of uh you know how the systems worked and and what the co content was and what the earlier versions of that game uh conceptually were i was like no prototype is going to give us one percent of what i just went through. I, I think that's yeah. what this discussion was heading towards which is just yeah because source exists because source code exists um they, there is no right it's like what you said i mean there's no rom that can come even one percent close to teaching us what a good source repository can. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's not valuable. That just means that if we have an opportunity to save source, like we're going to prioritize that um, yeah. mm -hmm. and look into it. And of of course, that's a thousand times harder to find than mm, a prototype. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Well, than a random one. Yeah, yeah. I yes, and yeah. a, a random prototype. A random source code repository is harder to access. Than a, <laughs> it's harder to source than a random prototype. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. But again, fortunately, I think that like going on, like you, you just you don't have to compete with collectors for that because a source code repository is not a physical object that you can, yeah. <laughs> you can, that you can <laughs> acrylic and sell on heritage auctions. Like it's not. So, I mean, you know, well, it doesn't, it, it, it sometimes it's really started casing it's, hard drives. in. Oh God. <laughs> well, like remember Al Lowe was trying to sell his source code to leisure suit. Larry, it was, was in the thousands of dollars on eBay. It was a physical, but I mean, that wasn't just a copy of the source code. This is like Al Lowe's personal archive of leisure suit, Larry, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. that 
that's a pretty cool collectible that yeah, Activision but, well, shut down the auctions for. Right. But again, were the people bidding, were they bidding because they wanted to own the floppies that he wrote on? Or were they bidding because they wanted the data? I think, they I think the, the prices that they hit, I think it was physical collectors is my yeah. guess. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was both because a lot of times, um, again, thankfully people are pooling their resources together when there's something yeah. that's, that's really, uh, you know, looks valuable, looks interesting. I mean, there are people doing good work, pooling together resources. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes getting the same amount of money together that, a high-end collector was going to put on yeah. something. Yeah, and that's that's been you know even in in my older days that's that's always been a tactic, right? Is like use use group power to to beat out the collectors for this sort of thing. Um, I think collectors is is a good uh, uh, topic switch, and maybe how we wrap this up, which is that um, and 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 this goes back to you know this like doing it halfway notion as well. Um, I just deleted that topic you were looking at, Kelsey. No, <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking that. Um, so uh, we we do have some involvement with the collector's market and with prototypes. Um, and, and I feel that it's a good compromise for saving history in a way that maybe is not the most ideal to everyone, which is that um, we work with a collectibles company called Wata Games, um, who are, you know, kind of the the main go-to, I guess, right now for 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 uh, encapsulating games in acrylic and, and putting a score on them. Um, you know, I, I, they were they're kind of under heat recently for for uh, for you know from people who who don't appreciate the high-end collectibles market. But uh, they commissioned the Video Game History Foundation um, to evaluate any uh, prototype games that are submitted to them. Um, and uh, that work so far has, has been uh, me, so I can talk about it. Uh, and essentially what we do is try to authenticate these objects from, from you know, just looking at clues uh, on them. Like, okay, does it, does it make sense that, that uh, I have EPOMs in my hand right now. Does it make sense based on the manufacturing date of this IC chip that this game would be on here? Right. Uh, does it is this board an official, you know, prototype board or is it hacked together from a retail game? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, as part of this process, every time we do dump the data, uh, I can't give it to you without the owner's permission. But like we we dump the data and evaluate it. Um, and uh, in addition to that, every time we evaluate one of these prototypes, um we write a report that, um, and they haven't launched the feature yet, but it is in our contract. Every report that we write is public knowledge. So if we've looked at a prototype, everything that we have observed about it is is in a report that you can look up. And Including like if it's final, which yeah, again, absolutely. it, it yeah. often is. <laughs> it is so often <laughs> final. Um, and... Uh, for us, this is a way of preserving stuff that, you know, even if it's not 100% preserved in the way that we would prefer, where it's just, you know, pop it on the internet, let people, let, let the people find it. Um, even if it's not 100%, it's still like we're doing something. 
uh, with these games that were going to get encapsulated with or without us. Um, and I, and I, I think it's a pretty valuable thing that we're doing. Um, well, it, here's here's the main thing to me that is really valuable about this, because I just mentioned that a lot of times they are final. These are, in a lot of cases, probably going to go back up for sale at some yep. point. In our contract, all of these reports have to be public. Yep. So if a prototype of The Legend of Zelda goes up for sale on Heritage Auctions or whatever, you can read in that report that it is actually the final ROM and you and it's fine. You can just let this go to someone who wants to spend a bunch of money on it because yep. we're not losing anything. And that's so huge mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was such um you know such a mystery before um yeah. whether or not these things were worth saving and I think obviously everyone always wants to err on the side of caution, of course I do too. Um so at least having that um god it's just it's so huge because uh, to Frank's point, they were going mm-hmm. to be encapsulated and sold at a high price with or without our involvement. So, you know, putting in a step there that allows transparency and allows people to see that, you know, the vast majority of these are not going to be all that interesting other than from a pure collectible standpoint is, I mean, it's a huge weight off my shoulders. Yeah. And I mean, you got, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's like if you guys had, you know, the video game history foundation, let's say you've got $10,000 to spend on something. <laughs> are you, are you using that number for any history. reason? Chris, and or... Almost in, in, I'm just, I'm just pulling, I'm pulling that's the that's number out and saying like $10,000, let's say, you know, in your budget, it's got to go to something. Um, in, I'm just saying because, you know, because prototypes are starting to hit the five figure mark, let's say you've got that money kicking around. It's the same thing with um with the with the with the Nintendo PlayStation, with the prototype yeah. of the of the PlayStation that had the Super Nintendo, you know, CD ROM drive. Um it was like, well, a museum should buy this. It's like if a museum had three hundred thousand dollars, there is so much that they could do yeah. with three hundred thousand dollars to, you know, help preserve history. Um, so much more than buying a thing and like putting that thing behind a glass case. And there's so much more that you guys could do than buying yes. a video game prototype um, to, to preserve it. Unless, yeah. unless it's mother three for the 64 DD in which yeah, case any amount of all bets are point, off. But... I do feel like we are maybe me, in the unique yeah. position of like, saving things at a higher level than most preservationists can like if we really had to um i think uh i don't want to disclose the price but saving SimCity on the nes you know i don't think would have happened without us uh dropping a fairly large amount of money um but it, it we, you know we had to weigh the 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 risks and benefits on that um and ultimately we decided it was a it was a benefit um to our cause, uh, but also honestly to our like presence in the world that like we could tell this story. Um, so it was, you know, we were in a position where it's like, this isn't just burnt money. There's some return on investment here um, because people are going to see the yep. story and remember who we are. Uh, so, you know, I think sometimes it makes sense. Mother three makes sense. <laughs> Uh, actually, Power Up Baseball. Uh, we paid money for the disc with the source repository. 
uh, on that one. And I think that that was worth it because um, we're uniquely in the position to tell its story, to uh, figure out how to build it from its source code and stuff like that, to get it running. Which uh, involved you know, we- a tool from a thermometer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just told that story yesterday, actually, to uh, to uh, someone who's writing a book on on on, uh, on Valley Midway, um, and uh, yeah, so it's worth it sometimes, but for the most part, no, that's not where we would prefer to spend our money. Um, heck, I don't know. Any final thoughts on video game prototypes? I mean, I think I think a lot of people have a lot of fear about prototypes disappearing. That's that's the just kind of general feeling I get uh, from the internet these days. And I hope we've been able to maybe kind of soothe some of those fears a little bit. I don't know if we did a great job about I don't that. Think we, but... I don't think we spent a lot of time explaining how boring they are. <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, it, a typical one. A typical, yeah, a typical... A, okay, actually, you can see this for yourself if you go to Hidden Palace and you look at Project Deluge, um, D-E-L-U-G-E, uh, which is a project where they digitized, um, I don't know if it's thousands, but it's over a thousand uh, disc-based uh, prototypes uh, that were donated to them. And I'm not saying that they're all boring, but but uh, if you look, they have lists of the discs that are like different and lists that are not different, you can very clearly see with your eyeballs right now that, oh, the majority of prototypes are just the final game. Um, and the ones that aren't, you can click through and it'll be like, you know, I don't know, this this copyright's a little different. That's all we could really find, you know? Um, but some of them are, are, are also fascinating. I'm glad they're there. And and no shade, obviously, to like dumping prototypes, right? Like, like that's what we're all here for. But... Um, it's, it's not the most important thing. Um, I mean, when we talk to guests on this show, I'm thinking Kate Willard specifically, right? Who, um, who just published the first episode of video games, which is her, uh, attempt at chronicling the history of playable women in games. Um, you know, her research is fantastic. Her, I, I think she's top tier when it comes to video game history. And it's like the story she's telling, I don't think a like early prototype of Custer's Revenge would have added much to this story, right? Um, and what what the reason she was able to tell the story is because um, we've matured on the internet to a point where a lot of older paper-based material is scanned and accessible. Um, not, not only that, but like, you know, we were able to help her as well with things that weren't scanned yet because I mean, honestly, Kate just kind of bugs me on discord sometimes with an eBay link and she's like, buy that and scan it. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I'll do that for you, Kate. Uh, Cause I know you're going to use it in something awesome. Um, and, uh, the point is that like video game history comes from all kinds of different places. Yeah, a prototype can be one of those, but you know, I don't generally like it's it's not going to tell you as much as even like people can, let alone, you know, older printed material and stuff like that. Usually. Usually. And of course, copyright. unreleased games are a whole different beast. Yes. I mean, that's <laughs> 
And I don't want to, one topic I considered Mm -hmm. getting into is like, okay, is, is, okay, the fact that this game was never released, like, is it, do I really care sometimes? You know, like, like, and we we have this discussion sometimes, like someone will have an unreleased game for sale and we do consider it here at the foundation sometimes. It's like, okay, should we just get that and get it online? Because we can. Because we, you know, frankly, we've raised money from people who care about video game preservation. I think it's fine to allocate some of that sometimes to like dumping a ROM. Um, And, you know, we have to evaluate it from the perspective of like, well, does anyone care about who made this game? You know what I mean? Like, is this is this a developer of note or is it just a generic puzzle game for the Super Nintendo by someone that don't people don't generally care about? And. If that's the case, it's like I'm not saying I want it to die, but it's like how much is that actually worth to to historical canon and to you know budget? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even even something that well, I guess this is this is a released game, so maybe this doesn't count. But I'm just going back to thinking about the guy who was asking something like twenty five thousand dollars for a Super Mario Kart prototype. I think it was forty, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is found on that cart are in no way worth anywhere near that amount of money. <laughs> and this is and this is post Giga Leak with Mario Kart data. Right, right. So you <laughs> if you know how to, there are ways to find out much 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 more about the development of Mario Kart without that prototype. Anyway, wrapping up, I think what we're saying <laughs> is prototypes are cool sort of. <laughs> they are sometimes very important. They are sometimes really not. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a strong thesis right there, but (laughs) you know, the, the coolest thing about a prototype is the moment before you (laughs) dump it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? The moment where it could be anything. That's great. Uh, And it's literally like, am I about to scratch off a winning lottery ticket here? And the answer is no. Um, but there is something to be said for like, that kind of encapsulates the, um, the, the most fun part of doing the video game history is the, I'm about to, cause if it's a document, you know what, the, you know, you can look at it, but like, you know, it's like, there's just that little bit of a, of a sort of a liminal sort of period between you getting it and being able to find out what's on it, that in which it contains riches and it contains the practice. Pra- yeah. It anything. is a locked treasure chest for a moment. So yeah, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I, I don't know. I guess I'm thinking of like packs of baseball cards or something, right? Like you, you might get the, I don't know, Mike Trout, yeah. right? That's the one. <laughs> like there there is, yeah. There's a very there. expensive Mike <laughs> Trout card. You might get the Trout, or you might just get, I don't know, who generic baseball people are. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad analogy for me to try to make. Um, you might get Pokemon the ho- instead. You might get the Spider-Man hologram <laughs> card in there, not just the normal Spider-Man. There, I know that one. All right. Um, all right. Well, thank you both. This was fun. Uh, I hope this is fun for you, listeners, as well. Um, and uh, let's kick it over to a uh, past version of Kelsey Lewin for our generic outro. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know that the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org slash donate. 
This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>